We began, uh, last week, we began a series, Rediscovering Christmas. Last week, we talked about rediscovering the gift, this incredible gift. This morning, I want to talk to you about rediscovering the truth. Isaiah said, for unto us, a child is born. For unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. I I love that. I love that idea. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Friends, the answer for the challenge that we face will not be met through City Hall, through the state capital in Tallahassee, or in the White House. The answer will always be found in God's house. It'll always be found in God's presence. It'll always be found with God's power and his unmistakable, undeniable, sometimes unexplainable, but his very real peace. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. This is the reason why we celebrate. This is the reason for Christmas. Although Christmas gets interesting, doesn't it? And sometimes, sometimes it's even fun to, I don't know, engage in a little bit of the, the fiction. Growing up as a child, uh, Christmas was big at our house. It was big at our house for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which uh, being part of a very large family, the 12th of 13 children, uh, Christmas, um, it, was, it was always fascinating. And our extended family came and celebrated Christmas at our house as well. And so uh, there, were, there were gifts as far as the eye could see. I remember one year, in fact, when I was five years old, uh, my, my parents got all of uh, the children that were still living at home, eight of us, bicycles. Well, technically, Santa Claus brought us bicycles. And you know what that means? Uh, those of you that have done the whole Santa Claus thing, that meant that on Christmas Eve, that my parents had to get eight bicycles put together in between the time that the children went to bed uh, and the time uh, that, we, uh, that we woke up in the morning. I'm not sure if they gave us Benadryl to get us to go to sleep early, uh, uh, but I, I know this, I know that it was, uh, it was a, just a, a really, really long night. You don't talk about a long night. You know who has a long night on Christmas, on Christmas Eve? Santa Claus. I, I shared this a few years ago. In fact, the first, the first Christmas season that I was with you, I, I shared some math about Santa Claus, and, and I debated whether or not I was going to do that again, but I think I want to give this to you. So... Um, About a, about a century ago, a little more than a century ago, uh, there was a newspaper article that was written to a little girl uh, named Virginia. Uh, I don't know if you remember this article. Uh, it, the article was this, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. It was this, this, this newspaper article, it was, it was made into a, a movie, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. In fact, it's been redone a couple of times. I saw one of the latest versions was actually on a couple days ago. And, and that seems, you know, this idea, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. While that, that seems wonderful, let me give you a little bit of logic. So around the globe today, there live approximately 2 billion children. Santa wouldn't visit all of them, of course. They're, you have to subtract the number of children whose culture doesn't embrace the idea of Santa Claus, and that reduces Santa's Christmas Eve workload to about 15% of the total, or 378 million children. At an average rate of 3.5 children per household, and presuming that there's at least one good child in each home, Santa must visit about 108 million homes. 
Santa has about 31 hours of Christmas to work with uh, thanks to the different time zones and the rotation of the earth, uh, assuming that he travels from east to west. So that, uh, that equals a, a 967.7 visits per second. Are you starting to see some of the challenge? That means that at each household with a good child, Santa has around one one-thousandth of a second to park the sleigh, hop out, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the remaining presents under the tree, eat whatever snacks have been left for him, get back up the chimney, jump into the sleigh, and get to the next house. Now, for purpose of our calculations, uh, we're going to assume that each of these 108 million homes, that they're evenly distributed around the earth. So we're talking about a, a trip of about three quarters of a mile between each household. It's a, it's a total trip of about 75.5 million miles, not counting uh, bathroom stops or breaks. So to cover that ground in 31 hours, Santa Slay moves at 650 miles per second. That's 3,000 times the speed of sound. Uh, by comparison, the fastest man-made vehicle uh, a, a, a achieved just under seven uh, times uh, the, the, the speed of sound. So 650 miles per second or 3,000 times the speed of sound. Oh, and, and in case you're wondering, the, a conventional reindeer can max speed at about 15 miles per hour. The payload of the sleigh. Yes, the payload of the sleigh adds another interesting element. He says it's Rudolph. How is Rudolph going to manage this? So, assuming that each child only gets one gift, and let, let's, let's take just as, a, as an idea that they get nothing more than a medium-sized Lego set, that's about two pounds, the sleigh must carry a little over 500,000 tons, not counting Santa himself. <laughs> On land, a conventional reindeer can pull no more than 300 pounds in air, granting the flying reindeer in the same fashion, maybe let's say they can pull 10 times that amount, the job can't be done with a mere eight or nine of them. It would take about 360,000 reindeer which of course will add another 54,000 tons to the weight of the sleigh. 600,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates enormous air resistance. This would heat up the reindeer much in the same way a spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. You're starting to get the picture. The lead reindeer would absorb 14.3 quintillion joules of energy per second each. In short, they would burst into flames almost instantaneously, and the sonic boom would be heard around the world. The entire reindeer team would be vaporized in less than five thousandths of a second, or about the time that Santa reached the fifth house. Oh, Santa. <laughs> Santa, as a result of accelerating from a dead stop to 650 miles per second in one one-thousandth of a second, Santa would be subject to 17,500 Gs, okay? So what Santa would experience, he would experience a little more than four million pounds of force instantly on his chest. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, but he is, he is not a guy traveling around in a sleigh. So much, of, so much of what we celebrate in Christmas, it's got, this, it's got this, this thin ribbon of truth that kind of gets morphed over time and kind of gets morphed over the years. 
And the, and the story of this, of this man, Nicholas, he was a bishop, Nicholas of Myrna. And he, he, was, he was born to a, a wealthy Greek family. And his parents died at a young age. And he was, he was absolutely devoted to God. So much so that he, he felt compelled to take his family's wealth and to, and to distribute it to those in need, particularly children. He, just, he had a great love for impoverished children. And so he gave what he had uh, for the sake of the kingdom. And there are, there are lots of stories, some that people believe are reasonably true, some that are a bit more far-fetched. But, but who he is and, and, and what his life meant. Nicholas died on the 6th of December. And so that became St. Nicholas Day. And, and from the mid-300s, that day has been celebrated. In fact, St. Nicholas Day was celebrated before Christmas came into existence. St. Nicholas Day started in the, 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 the early, mid-300s. Christmas itself started in 350 A.D. Christmas itself started by uh, Pope Julius, and Pope Julius recognized there was this pagan holiday that happened on the 25th of December. And what it was, it was a holiday where they celebrated the fact that the days were no longer getting shorter, that the days at that point were now starting to get longer, which meant that it was the beginning of a new, a new time. It was the beginning of a, of a new season. It was the, the beginning of, of new life. And so they were celebrating the fact that, that all things came new. A, a part of this celebration even, it involved these, these evergreen trees. Now, the decorating of a Christmas tree, that didn't come until over a thousand years later in, in the, the 16th century, the mid-1500s. And, and really kind of happened um, starting in Germany and then it kind of spread out. In fact, it's believed that Martin Luther was the first person to actually put candles on a tree and the, the, the forerunner of, of Christmas lights. But the idea of, of of these, of these evergreens being a, a part of the December 25 tradition, it goes back to the fact that because they stayed green, that they represented eternal life. And Julius, Pope Julius, recognizing that, that people would celebrate on the 25th, that they would celebrate new life, that they would celebrate new beginnings that they would even celebrate the idea that there's an eternity. He said it's, it's, it's fascinating that people would celebrate that and do so not connected to genuine truth. And he said, here's what I know. What brings new is Jesus. What brings eternal life is Jesus. 
And so it wasn't just, and, be, and you'll hear, hear, hear people see, say this, that what the church did is that the church co-opted this pagan holiday in the, in the middle fourth century. It's not true. What Julius did is Julius said, here's what I want to do. I want to take what's, what's, what's riddled with fiction and I want to bring some truth to it. Because when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We live in this time, we live in this season where people can mistakenly believe it. It, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're genuine. But I, I want to challenge you for a moment on this idea of, of truth and this idea of what you believe because what we believe is very important. First of all, what you believe are your choice. No, nobody forces you to believe anything. If I want to believe in something, I can. Nobody can stop me. If I, if I want to believe Elvis is alive, I can believe that. He's, he's, he's not, okay? <laughs> Seriously, that's, that guy you saw driving by uh, in a 74 Eldorado, that is not Elvis, okay? And that's a guy that, that really, he needs to get over it. If you want to believe the moon is made of cheese, if you want to believe the world is flat, that's one that amazes me, that there are still people that embrace the world is flat. You, you can believe it. You can, okay? Now, here's, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know this, that, that God even gives us the choice as to what, believe, what to believe. And, and one, of the, one of the scriptures that, that on some level baffles me and, and on some level di just disheartens me is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter one when he says this, that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worship the created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. I was talking to um, one of the men in our church this morning before church and he told me that um, he, um, even, even this morning that he had the wife of an old friend reach out to him. And then this old friend had drifted very far from, from his, his connection with God and very far from his connection with the church. And uh, I commented that I, I was even thinking about this. Uh, I've, I've actually thought about this a lot lately. The, how easy it is for the enemy to get us caught up in distortions, half-truths, and downright lies. And this, this idea that somehow my plan is a better plan. Somehow my way is a better way. Now, if, if, if you're like um, a lot of folks, you're gonna, you're gonna see people on Christmas that you haven't seen for a year. In fact, um, if you want, you can come here on Christmas Eve and you'll see people that you haven't seen since last Christmas Eve. And for those of you that are watching online, hey, we look forward to seeing you on the 24th. So, and because uh, we know that we see you on Christmas. Well, we, sometimes we see you on Easter as well, but we're looking forward to seeing you uh, here in church. We're, we're, by the way, we're better here live every Sunday than we are watching on your computer, watching at home on television, just, just saying. It's just, it's more, so much more fun live. But that's, that's a whole different issue. That's a different story. But you'll see people on Christmas that you haven't seen in a year and they'll, they'll they will have changed, right? They'll look different. Well, some people... Some people, they just, they look the same all the time, don't they? 
Does anybody else have those friends and relatives that they never age? And you just want to punch them right in the throat, don't you? Right? They're still wearing the same, they can fit in the same clothes that they wore 20 years ago. Right? Their hair is still the same color. Well, let me, I'll offer you this. If their hair is the same color after a certain age, yeah, come on. You know? And there are some people that you do, you want to look at them and go, you're not fooling anybody. But then there are others, they will look, they'll look really different. Okay, don't stare. Don't do that. Because I'm going to let you know a little secret. You look different as well. And we, we don't see it when we, when we view ourselves in the mirror every morning. We don't, we don't see the, the subtle changes. It'll hit us every once in a while. I, I, a, couple of, a couple of days ago, I was, I was getting dressed and, and I, I looked in the mirror and I said, seriously, who is that old guy looking back at me? Where did that dude come from? I, I, don't, I don't remember him and, and, there, and there he is. It's a, it's a gradual change, isn't it? And that's what happens when we, when we drift away from truth. It's a gradual change. I saw, I saw a, a young man not too long ago who, when I, when I first got to Calvary, he was, he was part of our young adult ministry. And uh, I remember him, him getting involved. He started hanging out at this place where I just wasn't really excited about it. And, and, he, and he, he met some people and, and kind of got pulled into relationships that, that, that pulled him away from church. And I just, just remember him always having a smile on, fa- on his face and, and just being this, this, this guy, this just big teddy bear that you'd always want to just, just hug. And it just made your day to see him. This past spring, he was back on campus again, actually doing some work with our tech team. And I ran into him in this hallway over here. I remember seeing his eyes and seeing how different his eyes looked. And I wanted to, I wanted to grab him and I wanted to say, listen, I know that you think that life is good and I know that you think life is fine. But can I, can I challenge you to do this? To think about when you had the most peace in your life. To think about when you had the most joy in your life. To think about when, when life made the most sense. And what you're going to find is, is w- without exception, we're happiest when we're in God's presence. We have the most peace when we're, when we're walking in active relationship with God. We have the most joy when we're regularly in fellowship with him and regularly in fellowship with one another. In fact, there are people who right now that they're sitting at home and they're watching this via live stream and you remember, remember those days when you were actively involved in a small group at church? Remember those times when, man, when you uh, you would make sure that you were at church in, in time to be there for Sunday school. And, and life has gotten busy and it's, it's pulled you away. And, and you, there, there's all these 
concepts and ideas and all these half-truths and downright lies that the enemy has convinced you to embrace, to believe that, that somehow life is better now. And I don't, I don't bring this up to pick on anybody or to put anybody on blast, but let's pause and ask ourselves, what is truth? Because it's easy, it's so easy to exchange the truth of God for a lie. It's so easy to exchange God's plan for a plan that, that looks nothing like his. This idea that somehow I can do it on my own, somehow I can do it disconnected from, from God and disconnected from God's family. But God's given us, God's given us the ability to choose what we believe. But he also, he makes very clear to us this idea of truth. It's very important that we know what we believe because not only are our beliefs our choice, our beliefs also determine our behavior. They determine how we act. Here's what it says in Proverbs 4.23. Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. What we think, we become. What we think, we become. See, our beliefs are our choice. They're not forced upon us. And our beliefs determine our behavior. And we, we live in a world where our world offers so many false beliefs. Oh, well beyond issues of, of the characters that we embrace for Christmas and Easter and when we lose a tooth. Those can have a, a little bit of fun to them, but... But some of the fiction that we embrace are, well, they're downright, they're downright dangerous. See, our, our beliefs will determine our behavior. Let me, give you, let me give you an example. When you walked into this room this morning and you came in and you sat down, there was significant belief connected to that. See, when you came in here and you sat down, you sat into that seat believing that it would hold you. Right? And so when you sat down, you sat down in that seat with confidence. Would you say that's true? And so our beliefs determine our behavior. If you, if you after church today, if you got into your car, and you believed that today is a high traffic enforcement day. And so OPD, Orange County, Seminole County Sheriff, Florida Highway Patrol, that they, are, that they have heightened patrols because they want to really crack down on speeders. Will that affect the way you drive? See, our beliefs determine our behavior. And, and we, live in a, we live in an environment where the world offers many false beliefs. Many false beliefs. Here's a few. All of your problems are somebody else's fault. You don't believe me? Turn on the television this week. Any talk show is going to tell you that. The world owes you happiness. Uh, if you don't believe that, listen to the political diatribe that, 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 that's happening in our world today. You'll be happy if you get whatever you want. 
there's no reason uh, to feel guilty. Here's a good one. Man is basically good and unselfish. All beliefs are equally valid. You shouldn't have to wait for anything. The answer lies within you. Here's what it says in 1 John 4. Don't always believe everything you hear because there are many false teachers all around. This idea, this idea of, of, of truth, truth. The only source of absolute truth is God. Romans 3, 4 says this, God will continue to be true even when every person is false. And so this idea of walking and living in truth, knowing the truth, knowing the truth about Christmas. Christmas is this, it's Emmanuel, God with us. Right? John, John says this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. But then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, very God of very God, he is born of a babe in a manger and he comes and he lives this sinful life and he presents us these undeniable absolutely incredible life principles. He says, listen, I, I have come that you might have life. This is what he says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to its full. So if, if Jesus came that we might have life and have it to its full, then it would make sense that our life would be based on the truth that he offers. And in fact, if we look at this guy, Santa Claus, or his real name, Nicholas, if we look at his life, he actually modeled the truths that it would be wise for us to embrace. I want to give you four of them real, real quickly. I want you to do this. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is it's the longest recorded sermon that we have of Jesus in Scripture. And it is considered to be his first publicly recorded sermon. And Jesus begins this sermon with some words that that really should encourage us, really should pull us in. Because Jesus talks about really what we all want. What does everybody want out of life? Help me out. Right, we all want, doesn't everybody want to be happy? Isn't that basically what we want in life? I just, I, I just want to be happy. And, and I want peace. And what I love is this. I love this idea. If you think about the, the words that we would use to say this is what we want out of life, th those all can be summed up in one word, and that word is blessed. And so Jesus, in his first publicly recorded sermon, his first publicly recorded speech, he starts by saying this, blessed are they. Blessed are they who come to the understanding that they cannot do it on their own that without some sort of intervention, they are in trouble. 
And as a result of that, realize their situation and cry out and seek intervention, divine intervention, and recognize God stepping into their moment. And so, yielding to Him and hungering for the things that He has to offer and walking in the peace that only He can provide. So what he talks about in, in these list of things where he says, blessed are they, something that, that we call, the, we refer to them as the Beatitudes. He then gets into some, some even more practical ideas. I want to start in Matthew 6.1. He says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What's he saying there? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that true godliness, true godliness is, it's, it's found in, it's displayed in, in genuine humility. Paul refers to it this way in Philippians. He says, listen, if... if if you, have, if you have any connection with God, if you, if you appreciate anything that Jesus has done for you, then, then here's, here's, here's how you should position yourself. This is what your disposition should be. That, that you should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in, in humility you should consider others, not just yourself. In fact, he says this, he says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not with, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and, and took on this nature, this role of a servant, right? And he became obedient, even, even obedient unto death. And in response to that act of humility that God the Father exalted God the Son, to this highest place, humility. I, I love the fact that, that this guy, Nicholas of Myrna, it, it, wasn't about, it wasn't about him. In fact, if you, if you research and you look at all the stories, um, he, he tried to do things in, in secret. It's the reason why the fiction is that Santa Claus comes by night, right when the kids are asleep. So that's the fiction. The fact is, this guy Nicholas, he did good deeds not for his own glory, not to where people would talk about him, but he did it because it was the right thing to do. He had resource, he would see a need, he would meet the need. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, a self-promoter which is fascinating in the world that we live in where it's, it's all about this. It's all about how many, how, many, how many people I can get to respond to my post and how many likes I can get on my Instagram photo of a snail kissing a puppy right under a Christmas tree. Wow. If I could get that picture, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? No, sorry. I, 
This issue of humility, right? Uh, true godliness displayed in genuine hum- humility. Notice what it says beginning in Matthew chapter 6. It says, so when you give. I love that. It doesn't say, so if you give. It says, so when you give. It's God's expectation that I'm going to live my life with a generous disposition. That, that I'm going I'm to operate in generosity. I've said this before. I'll say it again, and I'll say it often. I, I want you to know this, that there is never a time that we receive an offering in this church that I don't participate. I won't do it. I, I, won't, I won't ask for you to give to a cause that I don't give to personally. And I have discovered this, this profound truth that I cannot outgive God. And true godliness is demonstrated by a generous spirit. And, and we have this example in this guy, uh, Nicholas. He was, he was profoundly generous with what he had. And, and he, would, he wouldn't just give to meet a need, he would give to bless. Let me say that again. He wouldn't just give to meet a need. These, the stories of this guy, Nicholas, he didn't just give just to meet the need. He would give to bless. And that's a, it's a demonstration of, of who God is. God doesn't just give to meet a need. God doesn't just give to you enough to meet your need. Our God is a God of abundance. Our God is a God that is a rewarder. Now, it's easy for us in our warped perspective to lose sight of that because we have this this mistaken notion of what we need. And if you live at poverty level in America, you're in the top 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. So recognize, friend, that you are undeniably blessed. Now, you you might not be building a 40,000 square foot home in Winter Park, I'll let you know a little secret, neither am I. So, uh, but you you know what I did this morning? I got up and I had shoes to put on. I got up and I had clothes to put on. I took a shower and got ready. I I drove in a car here. I am, I am by world standards, I am wealthy. And, 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 and we know this, to whom much is given, much is required, right? And so true godliness, it's, it's displayed in, 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 in true humility, in genuine humility. And it's also, it's, it's demonstrated by a, by a generous spirit. See, the reason, we, the reason we tell this warped, crazy, weird story of a, a red guy in a suit is because he really was a, a wonderful, humble, very generous man. He also, he showed true compassion. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do you know where the story of the Christmas stockings came from? Here's the story where the Christmas stockings came from, okay? There is this 
this story about Saint Nick or Nicholas, uh, Bishop Nicholas, that there, were, there was this, this family that had three girls and uh, the father did not have the money uh, to pay for uh, the dowry uh, for uh, his daughters to be married, which my son just got engaged to be married and uh, I didn't get any money. I'm just saying, what happened to this dowry business, right? Anybody else have a son that is engaged or got married? Anybody else? Did anybody get any money? See how times change. There are some things we need to go back to those old, old-fashioned days. Now, there's some of you that are sitting here and all you have are girls and you're going, Pastor, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. But the story is this, that there was this father that did not have the money for the dowry. And so Nicholas actually snuck into their house and he put money in these girls' stockings and the father caught him. And he said, look, no, 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 I'm just, I just want to. That's where the story of, of the Christmas stockings actually come from. They're connected to uh, th- this story of Bishop Nicholas of Myrna. He, he would see needs and he would meet needs. I'm gonna, let, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Are you ready? And in fact, if you get nothing else out of our time together this morning, get this. The need is the call. The need is the call. The need is the call. Well, I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if God wants me to do this. Listen, if you see a need, unless God gives you a check in your spirit, you're supposed to respond to that need. The need is the call. The need is the call. The need is the call. True godliness is developed in heartfelt compassion. Notice in, in, in Matthew 6, 3, it says, but when you give to the needy, by the way, on this issue of, of giving, people often say, you know what, nobody should know what I give because the Bible says that when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's not what it says. It says when you give to the needy, when you do acts of compassion, don't brag about it. In fact, in Jesus' day, when people brought offerings to, the, to, to, to God, and in the early days of the church, when people brought offerings to the Lord, they actually brought them and presented them. Now, we're, we're, not gonna, we're, not, we're not gonna go to that, but, uh, but just recognize truth. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. See, true godliness is developed in heartfelt compassion. And then, one more. I wanna bring our time to a close. Two verses later. And when you pray... And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, he says, they've received their reward in full. Do not be like them. So, is there some guy who, in the span of about 30 hours, will he travel from place to place Climbing down chimneys. Well, I don't know what you guys, I don't know how you guys handle that in your house. Here's what we did with our children. We told our children, we said, you know, you have this truck that you'll push around and you, you pretend that you're driving that truck. You have these dolls that you play with and you pretend that you're having a tea party with them. 
and fiction can be fun. And I'm telling you, fiction can be fun. Some of my, some of my favorite books are fiction. Some of my favorite movies are fiction. I, I, there's, a, there's a couple of Christmas movies that I absolutely love, and they're complete fiction. And you know what it does? It gives me an opportunity to just to sit back and enjoy the show and laugh. And fiction can be fun, but our life should be founded on truth. And so one of the things that I won't do is this, is I, I, won't, I won't tell you that you need to push away from fiction. If, if, you wanna, if you wanna next Easter, if you wanna have the Easter bunny visit your house, it's just a bunny, right? People get concerned about a Christmas tree. We have Christmas trees at our house. We don't dance around them. But here's what I want my children to know. I want my children to know truth. Because Christmas, Christmas is the key. See, it all hinges on Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us, God demonstrated his love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for your sin and mine, and on the third day rose from the grave. For unto us a child is given. And what that does, it allows me to live my life in truth. Truth, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Truth, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Truth, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Truth, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Truth, his divine nature has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Truth, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, it will quicken or it will energize your mortal body. Truth, truth, truth. This is my favorite time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. And it is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of the fiction, but because of the truth. 
thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.